Our scripture this morning is found in Hosea chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 15. Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Let me just comment on what we just sang, beloved. When Brian sent that song to me yesterday, I just said, mm. there's people in our fellowship got mountains in their lives that need to be cast into the sea. And God's message to you this morning is that He is bigger greater and stronger than any mountain you're going to face. All right? And so you just look at that mountain, and Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you look at that mountain and you say, be gone, and it will be cast into the sea. What a message. You know, beloved, throughout Hosea, we've been looking at God and His relationship with his people. I don't know about y'all. How many of y'all, if you had been Hosea, that you're over this when you had to go knock on the door of her lover and say, I'm taking her home with me? How many of y'all would have just said, he can keep her? I'm out. I'm done. She's put me through too much. I don't want anything else to do with her. All that I know about that woman is heartache. That's all she brings me. Woman's a whore. I got these three kids. I ain't even sure of mine. And she's off with some other guy. I'd have been done. I'd have been done. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. Y'all know me. I am Tennessee born and Tennessee bred, and when I die, I'll be Tennessee dead. All right? And I always told Angie that that if God was to call me, number one, to a city, even like Knoxville, but if he was to call me to some place like New York City, he's going to have, it's pretty much going to have to be an epiphany. Uh, Okay, I'm going to have to see him directly. All right? And and him hand me the gas money to get up there. All right? Because... You know, and if I'd have been Hosea and God says, go and get her. <laughs> Wait a minute, Lord. You don't, yeah, I, yeah, you know what she's done. I'll go get her. I'll go get her. I said all of that to say this. The problem with Israel, the problem that is developing in Judah, the problem in Mohawk, is that people are living with a divided heart. They're living with a divided heart, and God calls us to have a heart that is united in Him. Hosea chapter 10, verses 1 through 15, in honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand, please. Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit the more altars he made. The richer his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. Their heart is faithless. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their sacred pillars. Surely now they will say, We have no king, for we do not revere the Lord. As for the king, what can he do for us? 
they speak mere words. With worthless oaths, they make covenants. And judgment sprouts like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria will fear for the calf of Beth-Avon. Indeed, its people will mourn for it, and its idolatrous priest will cry out over it, over its glory since it has departed from it. The thing itself will be carried to Assyria as tributes to King Yareb. Ephraim will be seized with shame, and Israel will be ashamed of its own counsel. Samaria will be cut off with her king like a stick on the surface of the water. Also the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel will be destroyed. Thorn and thistle will grow on their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, Fall on us. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they stand. Will not the battle against the sons of iniquity overtake them in Gibeah? When it is my desire, I will chastise them, and the peoples will be gathered against them. When they are bound for their double guilt, Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh, but I will come over her fair neck with a yoke. I will harness Ephraim. Judah will plow. Jacob will harrow for himself. Sow with a view to righteousness. Reap in accordance with kindness. Break up your fallow ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you have trusted in your way, in your numerous warriors. Therefore a tumult will rise among your people and all your fortresses will be destroyed. As Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle when mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it will be done to you at Bethel because of your great wickedness. At dawn, the king of Israel will be completely cut off. Let us pray. Father God, we love you so much, and we thank you for the reading of your perfect and infallible word in our midst this morning. And God, as you illumined the heart and mind of, of Hosea when you gave to him this perfect and infallible word, we pray that you would illumine our hearts and minds this morning as well. God, we want to have a united heart in you. We ask that uh, that you would cause us to do that as we offer to you our love, our lives, and this prayer. In and through the name of our risen Lord and Master, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. How many of y'all plant a, a plant and then have no hope? That, that it's going to produce any fruit for you. Well, I, I'm generally not good at, at planting things. But, you know, if you plant corn, you expect that when you go back at the appropriate time that you're going to reap corn, that you're going to reap from what you planted. If you go out and make a garden, you didn't do it just to amuse the deer and the gophers and, and the raccoons. You did it because you wanted to reap a harvest from what you planted. God says, I planted Israel. He planted them in the desert and he expected to harvest a harvest of righteousness from them. And yet they turned their back on God. 
They didn't fulfill their potential. Their wicked behavior cut God's heart. You know, I know it's kind of an odd thing for, for me to think, but you know when a, a child or a young person commits a heinous crime, think Timothy McVeigh level, Nicholas Cruz level, okay? Sometimes we can look back and see that there has been a pattern that, 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 that the parents, probably a big part of this, but other times there's not. And you wonder what it's like for that mother and that father to watch their beloved child become the most reviled person in the country at that moment and to make their way through the legal system, especially if the prosecuting attorney decides to seek the death penalty and it is handed down against that child of theirs. God had planted Israel as His children. He expected righteousness from, from, from them. And yet they, all of them, every single one of them turned to whoredom. They became whores and began uniting themselves to other gods. They came into a land that was not theirs, that God had given to them. They began to reap from vines they had not planted. They began to, to prosper from this land that God had given to them. Instead of singing old 100, which by the way is 253 in our hymnal, I've never figured that one out. But instead of singing praise God from whom all blessings flow, they said, Boy, ain't we some stuff. Ain't we some stuff. Look at what we did. Look at what we accomplished. Well, Grandpap, he seems pretty convinced. You know, he, he he's always, you know, telling me I, I, I need to go to church and all of that. And, and so I understand. I need to go to church to keep up appearances so people won't talk about me. So I, I'll get up and I'll go to church. And I'll, I'll throw some money in the plate. But what I'm really interested in is what I'm really interested in. That's the problem. What he's really interested in is what he's really interested in. There's no love for God. They're going out of duty. They're doing what they're doing out of duty. They have already rebelled against God's king in Jerusalem. They have set up their own denomination, I mean kingdom, so that they can do things their way. Never mind the fact that not a single man that's carrying the title priest is scripturally fit to be a priest. I mean, we read in our... Sunday school lesson this morning from earlier in Hosea where the priests are, are killing people and robbing them. 
And God sends the prophets to speak into that because the time has come, listen to me, the time has come for God to execute judgment. I was talking to somebody last night that very frequently in the morning, depending on what time I leave the house, I meet McDonald's SRO, usually somewhere around Stephen Strait, okay? And a couple of mornings, he's blue-lighted me. He didn't turn around and come after me. He just turned those blue lights on to let me know, son, you're going too fast, okay? How many times do you think I'm going to be able to tread on his grace? before he does turn around and come after me. <laughs> How many times do we blow past God's laws thinking, well, all he'll do is maybe send a prophet into my life to, to blue light me, to warn me. But he's not really going to do anything about it. God says, I'm done blue lighting you. It's time for justice, it's time for judgment to fall. And you can see Hosea is getting right up in their face. Okay? I mean, the, the last verse, verse 15, is the only time in this chapter that he refers to their holiest temple by its real name. Bethel. And he did that for a reason. Because he'd been calling it Beth-Avon for a couple of chapters now. And he does that to make it specific. He's saying this place y'all are calling the house of God is really a house of iniquity. That's what Beth-Avon means. House of iniquity. And, you know, I, I'm sure they're starting to get a bit chapped. I mean, it would almost be like a preacher coming here and referring to Discord Baptist Church instead of Concord Baptist Church if he wanted to make a particular point. And then at the very end is just to kind of... He goes, okay, I understand. I've been getting all over your nerves calling you Discord. I'll call you Concord one time just so you know. And so Amos, I'm looking forward to Amos already because I've started reading, but, but we've got to go through Jonah and Joel first, right? But anyway, Hosea is, is, is making a point with the words that he's choosing. And what he's doing, listen to me, he is expressing God's attitude toward anyone who would say that there is another path to salvation other than the one God has laid out. You can say that that's just a different idea. You can say that's just a different denomination. You can say that that's just a different theology. But it's not just an error. It's not just a disagreement over theology. It is sin if it doesn't squarely line up with the Word of God. 
Hosea says that thorn and thistle will grow on their altars. And that's the last word on man-made religions, beloved. Chapter 10 is the conclusion of the discussion of Israel's pollution and the punishment that's coming because of their idolatry. In chapter 11, I mean, we see it beginning, uh, there's a different tone. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. We see compassion become characteristic of the last few chapters. But chapter 10, chapter 10 is stressing the need to set proper priorities before God. Let me ask you a question. What are you really after? What are you really after? What are you really after in life? Man, if it's not, if it's not what what Jesus said, remember what Jesus said? Y'all can come look for the kingdom of God after you've got everything else in, in life figured out, right? No, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because all of this other stuff that you think you got to have will be added unto you if God determines that you need it. What are your desires? What are you after? What do you believe the goal of life is? Can, can you affirm what... I, I know we Baptists don't do catechisms. We do, we just don't call them that. All right? I know we don't do catechisms, but the Westminster Shorter Catechism... We'll try to say that three times real quick. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that question is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What are you after? What do you desire Is it if it is not to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, then our priorities are wrong because God calls us to have a united heart in Him. Verses 1 through 3. God says Israel, the big problem with Israel is that you got yourself rich. You don't understand where the richness came from, but that's a whole other sermon. And you're using the money on the wrong things. You're using the money on the wrong things. Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. Who's he supposed to be producing it for? For God. Y'all knew I'd go there. What do they call the first fruit? Oh, there's that dirty word. We don't like mentioning it in Baptist churches. The tithe. You're growing it for God. You work for God. Paul even in his letter says that you would, in one of his letters says that you as an employee should work as though you are working for God. But he says that that the nation has plenty of everything. God has blessed them. God has given to them everything. 
And many were so wealthy that they were able to get whatever they wanted. And God says, the more that you get, the more altars you make. In other words, what you're doing is that you're building all of these idols. You're building all of these buildings that have your name on front of them and not God's. He says, you're not doing this for me, you're doing it for you. And so he pronounces two judgment on the people. First he says that their false religions and their worship sites would be utterly destroyed. All false religion and worship was to be brought to a complete end. No more. Let me ask you a question. If I were counseling a couple that, that, that one of them was involved in adultery, what would you think of me if I said to the one that was committing adultery, now listen, you need to back off a little bit on this. Okay? You need to back off. Instead of seeing the other person maybe once a week, let's back it off to, to, to once a month. If you were the other party, what would you think of that advice? Would, would you be on board with that? Would you say after it was over, well, the pastor gave us some pretty good advice. See, these people are whoring themselves to other gods, and God says, no, you're not going to just back off. You're not just going to do it every now and then. It's going to come to a complete and an utter and a total stop the Lord will break down their altars and destroy their sacred pillars. See, they were misusing their wealth. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, Paul tells us about this. Look at what Paul has to say about how we ought to be using the money that God gives to us. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Can I get a witness? For men will be lovers of self, Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wait a minute, did you put the newspaper up there or did you put 2 Timothy 3? holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied his power, avoid such, and I'm going to take the word men out, avoid such people as these. Because that's what our society is about. Everything that Paul lists in these short five verses perfectly describes our society. It describes our culture. You know, one way we misuse wealth is by hoarding it, holding on to it. All that we have beyond what is needed to adequately take care of our family should be used to proclaim the gospel of Christ. You know, another one of those great things of having been in the same place for 30 years. I remember a number of years ago I got a phone call from a young preacher boy. And he said, Pastor Larry, 
God's given me a burden. He wants me to build a mission center in our community where we can minister to the people that aren't involved in any church in our community. Are you on board? And before he could even get the D out of his mouth, I was, yes, sir, Brother Kevin, I am on board, and so is Concord. How can we become involved? How can we become involved? How can we take the, the, the bounty that God has given to us and flood our community with, with the things that this community needs so desperately? The love and the grace of Jesus. As believers, listen to me, we need to examine our lives to determine where our priorities lay. If anything or anyone is standing in the way of serving God, worshiping God, of supporting God's work through our church, then our priorities are misplaced. And unless we repent of our sin, Revelation 2.4, I have this against you. You have left your first love. So aren't you glad that Jesus wrote that letter to a bunch of pagans that weren't involved in, in the gospel of Christ? Oh, wait. He wrote that to a church. They were still showing up on Sunday morning. They were still giving, but not till it hurt. They were still maybe giving the long-distance kiss of love. They, they were still involved in going through the... See how quick you can get into a rut? I mean, you're talking about a church that can't have existed for more than, you know, one generation. Y'all know what a rut is, don't you? It's a grave with both ends kicked out of it. And they had gotten into a rut. They were going through the motions. And Jesus says, I have this against you. You have left... Your first love. It's not about me anymore. It's about you. Verses 4 through 8. We're going to get through this pretty quickly and then we'll get to the, to the real meat. God says through Jose, I've had it. It, it. It's almost like, you know, when I was a young man, I was a lifeguard. Some of y'all may find that hard to believe. But I was a lifeguard and... and those of you that teach know how difficult it is for one person to supervise 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 or more people simultaneously by yourself and keep your eyes on them and make sure that nobody ends up on the way to the emergency room. And there comes a point if the pool has gotten so rowdy that as a lifeguard you blow the whistle and everybody looks at you and you say, everybody, out of the pool. Until you can establish control again. And these verses that we're looking at, God is saying, everybody, out of the pool. Out of the pool. I'm going to destroy your altars and your sacred places. And verse 8, you're going to get to the place where you are begging the mountains to fall on you. Luke 23, 30. Jesus, let me set the scene for you. 
Jesus is on his way to Golgotha. All right? He's carrying his cross. And he walks by the daughters of Jerusalem. And they cry out to him. And Jesus says to them, after he told them not to weep for him, but for themselves, because then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills cover us. Jesus says a day is coming. A day is coming. Revelation 6, verses 16 and 17 talk about when the sixth seal is open, and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Verses 9 through 12. God is saying that these people are morally depraved. How many of y'all would be blessed if I walked, when, when you walked into the church, I shook your hand and said, well, well, how's my favorite sinner this week? Nobody, I, I probably wouldn't even get a grin, okay? Probably wouldn't even get you inside the building at that point. You'd probably just turn around and leave. So who does this guy think he is? Okay? We don't generally like it when somebody says that we have a moral issue, okay? But Hosea is being used by God to tell the people of Israel that they are morally depraved. They are as guilty of the same horrendous acts as those committed by the people of Gibeah. And God says that they're going to be judged, and He gives a picture of both the northern and the southern kingdom being led away into captivity. And you think God liked this? God's heart is broken. God's heart is broken. You know, my first four years of school were at a little school in Memphis called Campus School. Unique name, right? It was on the campus of Memphis State University. And this school was unique in that it was connected by a walkway to the College of Education where the teachers were trained. It was also unique in that every single classroom had a one-way mirror where the, the, the training teachers could come and watch what was going on inside the classroom. But if, if my teacher had to step outside the room to go to the office or something, what else might be done? She might be watching what we were doing in that room after she told us, you all be on your best behavior, I'll be back. And as soon as she's gone, oh, it was on like Donkey Kong. And she'd come back in with that look on her face that she was so disappointed in us. God is hurt because of His people's behavior. And God says that they need to sow righteousness in order to reap His love. And they need to begin a new life, which we see in verses 12 and 13. 
And finally, they needed to seek the Lord. And the new ground of their heart when they did that, Paul tells us what's going to happen in Galatians 5. Y'all know these verses. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Do you understand? I can't law that stuff into your heart. I can't law any of that into your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can bring it into your heart. And real quickly, verses 13 through 15. God charged the people with depending on their own way. Aren't you glad we don't depend on our own way? Aren't you glad that we don't, you know, try to do things the way that we've always done them? Or that that, that we try to rely on our own strength and ingenuity? And only when we've come to the end of, 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 of our intelligence do we finally reach out to God. God says this is coming because you have trusted in your own way. You've trusted in your own intelligence. You've trusted in your own political system. You've trusted in everything but me. Placing our hope in our own works and our power will doom us. We must trust God above all else. It's easy for us to have a divided heart. David said in Psalm 86, 11, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Oh, beloved, will we cry out to, to God to teach us his way? Will we cry out to God that when God teaches us his way, that we will walk in his truth? Will we understand that I can't unite my own heart, but that I have to turn to God and allow God to unite my heart? That's what I want to pray. Oh God, unite my heart to fear your name. Give me the proper priorities in life. Are our hearts divided or are they united?